is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Martin, I'm grateful for the introduction because um, I'm Colin, you've just heard that. Uh, I've actually been coming to Woodside for over 20 years, and this is the first first time I've been invited to preach. It was bothering me a little bit. (laughs) It was bothering me a little bit that uh, I got the invitation when Martin was on his sabbatical, and I thought, hmm, what what conclusion? So... (laughs) <laughs> so uh, I'm grateful for that and, uh, and I am more comfortable with the guitar in my hands but, uh, so forgive me if, uh, if I'm not so comfortable but anyway let's right I'm setting my timer now um... <laughs> I'm not going to look at it again I'm just setting it now <laughs> so uh, here we go now look now I've got the stage I'm going to indulge myself and show off my wonderful cats. Okay, so that's, uh, that's, that's Jaffa there on the left as we're facing, Shandy on the right. There they are as kittens being put through some training exercises there. Now, I love my cats, but I feel that I am their lord and master and, and that they have to really obey my house rules. And I think I've had a measure of success in achieving this. Now, I, I can see the look in some of your faces like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, a measure of success. Now, one little victory is the dining room table. They are not allowed on the dining room table. And they do know that, and they don't go on it. At least not when I'm in the room or my wife is in the room. When I'm not in the room, I find the evidence, and I know that they don't follow that rule. But when I'm around, they, they know. Another rule is that my favourite chair, uh, I have priority. They're allowed to use it. I'm not a tyr- tyrannical lord. Uh, they can use my chair, but when I want it... Uh, they have to give it up. Now, Jaffa there, on the left, understands this. And if I want the chair, he will get off. If, if not straight away, the gentlest reminder of his name, Jaffa, he will go. Shandy, on the other hand, is usually asleep on the chair. He will hear me approach. He'll open his eyes. He'll look at me and close his eyes again. If I prod him, say, oi, get off, he will not budge. If I sit on the chair and squash him up, he will not budge. If I pick him up, he will make himself as heavy as possible. To his credit, he doesn't fight me. He does give in in the end. Um, So, there we go. Uh, I think it's fair to say, of the two cats, Shandy is the more willful. Um, And uh, I know it. So, enough of my indulgence there. Let's let's look at uh, what we're looking at today which is uh, a part of the Lord's Prayer where we read, uh, well, we've already looked at our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Brian and Tabs have brilliantly taken us through those. So we're on to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, not Jaffa's will, and certainly not Shandy's will, not your will. God's will be done. Now, I have to say, I think your kingdom come and your will be done on earth are not exactly the same thing. Each of those could be a 10-part series at least. I'm going to concentrate on your will be done and hopefully find space to maybe mention the kingdom of God at the end. So we're looking at uh, God's will. So it it raises the question, what does God's will mean? And that's um, that's not such a straightforward question because there is a, a, a thing called like the sovereignty of God, a doctrine where God is sovereign and he has a sovereign will. And the idea of God's sovereign will is that it will happen. It cannot be thwarted. You might be thinking, well, if God's will is going to happen and can't be stopped, what's even 
the point of praying for anything because we can't change anything. Why pray? Um, now, always a good place to go with difficult questions is John Piper. And if you Google a, a sort of theological question and stick his name in the, in the search field, you're likely to find something helpful. So let's see what John Piper says. Oh, I'm ahead of myself. No, can we go back? You were right, sorry. This is what we're looking at today. What do we mean by God's will? That's my first point. How do we know God's will? How does knowing God's will affect us? So those three things I want to address. And uh, so we're on, what do we mean by God's will? So I think John Piper will help us on the next bit here. Uh, He says, and um, I found this on the internet, it's desiringgod.org is his website. He says, there are two ways of talking about the will of God. One we can call God's will of decree, or his sovereign will, and the other we can call God's will of command. His will of decree always comes to pass, whether we believe it or not. His will of command cannot, sorry, can be broken and is broken every day. So his sovereign will can't be thwarted. His will of command is like broken every day. And I want to illustrate this by taking a Bible account. I don't want to say Bible story because this is a historical account. It's not a made-up story. Concerning David and Bathsheba. So um, I think that's actually Gregory Peck, I think, and uh, <laughs> Susan Hayward. But uh, in a film on David and Bathsheba. Now, David was one of the very first kings of Israel. And it was God's sovereign will that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come from the line of David. And I'm not sure if Michelle's still in here. I was so grateful when you read a passage normally read at Christmas. Um, Unto us a child is born on the throne of David. Because the Bible makes it clear that Jesus was going to be descended from David. And David was, oftentimes, a man after God's own heart. But he was seriously flawed. And the Bible is excruciatingly honest about the flaws of its heroes. And probably David's most famous, I'm going to say indiscretion, it's way more than that. Uh, embarrassing to have it recalled, really, but concerned a woman called Bathsheba, a married woman. Now, while, while um, his army were off fighting in war, David stayed at home, and he spies Bathsheba. She's attractive, and he summons her to, to, to see him. Now, I'm aware that there's no age restriction on this uh, congregation here, so suffice to say, they didn't just drink a cup of tea and talk about the weather. A few days later, Bathsheba sends a message, I am pregnant, you're the father. Now, rather like today, uh, no one wants a royal scandal. David attempts to cover up his sin. And uh, he summons her husband, Uriah, uh, back, back from the battlefield, has a word with him, says, how's the war going? What's going on? And Uriah gives a report. He says, look, you're a good and faithful servant. Look, Here you go. Take this box of milk tray. Here's a bottle of Prosecco. You go and show Bathsheba just how much you've missed her. I am, of course, paraphrasing, but that's the gist of it. Now, Uriah says, God forbid that I should do such a thing when the men under my command are fighting your battles that I should go and spend time with my wife like this? No. And Uriah doesn't go. Not even when David gets him drunk an attempt to change his mind, he doesn't go. He goes back to the battle. 
So David has committed adultery. He's attempted to cover up his sin. And he's left with a terrible solution, which is to give orders that Uriah be put right on the front line of the battle where the fighting is fierce, with the pretty inevitable outcome that he will die in battle, which is what happens. Problem solved. David thinks he's got away with it. He can marry Bathsheba. No one will know. The child will be raised as his. Now, we, we cannot underestimate that that was not God's will. In fact, the Bible tells us that he, the thing David did seriously displeased him, or something like that. There we go. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now, I think that's from the T-U-P-E version, which is the typically understated, polite English version of the Bible. Um, God was angry. He would be. And yet God had decreed that the Messiah, Jesus, would be born from David's line. And that still happened. We read in Matthew a genealogy. There's a little bit coming up on the screen where we can see uh, talks there. Jesse, the father of King David, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And, and it goes through there. Um, it's missing a key word, I think, there. It's missing, it's, it's missing the word Bathsheba. I haven't spotted that before. It does mention, it must have got cut out. Uh, oh, no, it says, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That's Bathsheba. Yeah. How magnificent is God's grace and mercy? Not only does Jesus still come out of David's line, the Bible mentions that in also that lineage is Bathsheba. This union, which God never intended, did not stop God's sovereign plan. Now, we can take great confidence in this because when we screw up, however badly we screw up, we cannot screw up God's sovereign plan. Now, that's not an excuse for us to be casual with how we behave. But it's great comfort when we come and repent. And David, by the way, repented. We're left with the brilliant Psalm 51. And if you need to repent and don't have the words, check out that Psalm. David's words are brilliant there. So, God's will of command, broken by David. God's sovereign will absolutely comes to pass. So, what do we mean by God's will? So I have what I think is a simple definition. Um, now, I don't think these are gonna, this is going to go down in a book of profound quotes. These are my words. There are things that God wants to happen that aren't happening, and there are things that God does not want to happen that do happen. I think it is as simple as that. God wants things to be happening. They're not happening. God doesn't want certain things to happen, and it's easy to look around the world and be thinking, God cannot want that. And yet they happen. So how do we know God's will? Now, I originally had a title for this sermon. I was going to call it, Are You a Jaffa or a Shandy? Uh, following on from Brian's Knowing Me, Knowing You, uh-huh, I thought I... But I'm not gonna fight shy of a bit of plagiarism here. And thanks to Jonathan, and what he brought, I'm going to call it Come In and Know Me Better, which is a great title. Come In and Know Me Better. And, that, and I didn't have that title in mind, you know, but it fits. So, look, this is, not, um, oh, this is where it gets maybe a bit predictable. How do we know God's will? Well, 
It's in the Bible. It's straightforward, isn't it? That's a little bit dark, that picture, but that's a, that's a very dusty Bible there. And someone's written in the dust, read me. And in a way, we have to read the Bible to, to know God's will. We can't just work it out for ourselves. Now, this is not a glib answer. I want to illustrate how Jesus handles scripture, and I want to go through these quickly. Right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, before he had even done any miracles, before he had chosen disciples, he went around synagogues and preaching. And when he was in Nazareth, he opened the scroll of Isaiah, and he read these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and the rest of what's on the screen. This was a quote from Isaiah. It's a messianic prophecy. It speaks of the Messiah. Jesus says, this is speaking about me. He says, today this is fulfilled in your presence. And the audience, the people in the synagogue, they understood that and they weren't too pleased about it because like, this was Joseph the carpenter's son. What's, you know, he's, a, he's getting ideas about his station is what they were thinking. And Jesus is showing us that the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, what he would have called the law of the Moses and the prophets, uh, speaks of Jesus, and there are many, many other passages which point towards Jesus. Michelle read one of them. Um, shortly before that, Jesus had actually gone into the wilderness to pray, and uh, really, to, I'm not going to say know God's will, because you know, I don't want to say he didn't know God's will, but he's praying for 40 days and fasting, and he's tempted, and Satan tempts him to turn stones into bread. Now, that's a whole sermon in itself, why that's a temptation. But, but Jesus responds with scripture. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, um, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And again, it's teaching us that actually God's word feeds us more than food. And also, when you're tempted, scripture can fight the temptation. Another example concerns the Sadducees. These were priests, uh, um, uh, high in the, in the Jewish religion, but, but they didn't believe in like the resurrection of the dead. And they asked Jesus a question. They thought it was a smart question, which would sort of you know, catch him out. And it concerning a man who's had seven wives, one after the other, all legally, because they keep dying. I must admit, you know, I, I wouldn't have wanted to be the sixth or seventh wife on that list, but there we go. Um, and they say, well, who's, 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 who's going to be the wife in heaven? And Jesus says, he says, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And Jesus is showing us that if we want to avoid error, theological error, getting our doctrine wrong, it's in the Bible. We can't just make it up ourselves or listen to others who are making it up. And now the last thing. Pretty much the last thing that Jesus did. Jesus starts his ministry opening the word of God. After he has been crucified, after he's risen from the dead, he gathers disciples or he meets disciples and um, he's talking to them. And this is where he says, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the things the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And a bit later it says with his disciples that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So the last thing he does is to really open their minds to understand what God's word says and teaches particularly about him. Moving on quickly to the first thing that the apostles did after they had received the Holy Spirit. Now it's very tempting to think that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, people are baptized, they speak in tongues, they prophesy, and the crowd gathers, 
And Peter gets up and prophesies to the crowd, and 3,000 people get saved. That's not what happened. Yes, the Holy Spirit came, but when Peter got up, um, this is what he said. He quote, now, that's, it's not Psalms. This is from Joel. Um, he quotes scripture. He says, in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, and the rest of that, and later on, he quotes some Psalms as well. The first thing Peter does to draw it when he's got a crowd is not to prophesy, it's to preach scripture. Now, that shouldn't be too surprising because what had Jesus been showing them? What's in the scripture? And then it says that, what did, what did the church do afterwards? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. The first thing, the apostles' teaching. Now, I've spent some time on that because I want to really underline that this is crucial. Scripture is crucial. Knowing it is crucial. So how do we know God's will now? Reading the Bible. Now, look, I'm going to try and move quickly here. There is a problem with this because, let's be honest, reading is hard. It can be really hard. It's hard for me. And it will be hard for some of you. Um, Now, my wife is a great reader. She studied English literature. It seemed to me like she was reading a book every day, but it was probably more like a book a week. And these are books like, I know, Jane Eyre, Great Expectations, War and Peace, that sort of thing. And it, it seems to me like she would complete a book in the time it took me to read the blurb on the back and understand it. It's not that I can't read the words, but I read a sentence, another sentence, and I say, oh, hang on, what did... And I go back, and I want to read it again. I think, hang on, what would it say three pages ago? And it's because of this, it slows me down. I am not a fast reader. And actually, to make it worse, if you read the Bible, there are some really tricky bits there. And if you read bits out of context, you can seriously get it wrong. I mean, there there are places in Proverbs which will convince you that God is a socialist, And there are other proverbs which can convince you that God is a capitalist. He's neither. But he is is for hard work and he's also for for looking after the poor. Um, So we need to look at commentaries, which means even more reading. It just gets worse. Some ray of light. I can recommend Phil Moore's commentaries. Now, a lot of commentaries are written in old-fashioned language. If you think the Bible's hard to understand, the commentaries can be even harder. Phil Moore's are sort of 60 bite-sized commentaries, they're great, I recommend them, but it's still reading, and actually, they're not that deep. So I'm going to be revolutionary, and I'm going to say, look, I've been using the internet for like a quarter of a century now. Can you believe that, near enough? Back in the 90s, the internet came along. And just like the printing press put the word of God on paper and put it into people's lives, uh, the internet can do that. And I'm being serious here, it can. The internet is great, for example, if you want to sort of find videos of cats uh, reacting to cucumbers. But if all you do is look at videos of cats or TikTok videos, um, you are missing out on a resource. And how did Jesus teach? Did he gather around a group of people, hand out scrolls and say, look, you read these and here's some explanations. You read those. I'm going to test you in an hour or so, see what you've learned. He told them, he spoke to them face to face. And... The internet can bring people face-to-face to to us. Now, I'm hoping I've got my slides in the right order here. I think my next slide is uh, what St. Peter said. Um, Can we have a look at that? Can I see the next slide? See, that's the one I want. Oh, no. Um, I'll come to St. Peter a bit later on then. Uh, Oh, no, here we go. We got it. So, St. Peter said, find a preacher that excites you and get into their teaching. 
I think I might have misled you there. I don't mean St. Peter the Apostle. This is Peter Solomon. He said this. He is St. Peter, and the Bible tells us that we're all saints. A few weeks ago, he was preaching, and he said, find a preacher that excites you and get into their teaching. When I heard that, I was thrilled because I have done it. That I have found preachers online that excite me, and I've been getting into their preaching. Now, I'm going to recommend some of them to you. It doesn't matter whether you follow these or not. The point is, are you going to get excited about God's word and find a way that works for you? But I do have some disclaimers I will quickly run through. Firstly, look, most of this stuff is American. And if you are anti-American with a prejudice, you need to repent, seriously. <laughs> and I say that as someone who has been there. I used to think that all Americans were arrogant know-it-alls. And I used to think that American Christian teachers were doubly so arrogant and know-it-alls. I had to be humbled with that. I had to change my mind. And seriously, if I hadn't, I would have missed out. Um, American culture is different from ours. There are going to be some points in the videos I recommend where Americans would not even think about it being a bit iffy. You might think that's iffy, some of it. If you do, be gracious. If you have a better understanding of etiquette than they do, be gracious. But also be humble, because it might just be that what they don't have a problem with, and we have a problem with, they might be right. Okay? And the other thing I want to say is there's so much on this, I haven't seen all of it. If, if, you, if you do look at these websites and find something, I really don't agree with that. I, I don't think it's likely that you're going to find something that's really terrible, but if you don't agree with it, it's okay. The point is, I'm recommending teachers, and the bottom line is the Bible is God's word to us. I'm going to have to move quickly now. Let's just quickly run through my recommendations. Elisa Childers, um, her background is raised in a Christian home, um, Christian at a young age, then as a young adult had a bit of a crisis of faith. She didn't want her faith to be secondhand, and she didn't want it to be at odds with her intellect. She got involved in a Bible study group to find out more about the Bible, but the pastor leading this subscribed to what's called progressive Christianity. And this is a thing. Uh, and they own the term progressive Christianity. The basic notion is we have progressed so much since Jesus was on earth as, as a species, and the Bible isn't God's revealed word. It's, it's followers of God who are trying to sort of put down how they understand him, but they didn't get it all right. We need to bring our superior knowledge and understanding to find the good bits from the bad bits. That's probably a very crude summary, but it's essentially it. And just to show you that this, this matters, many progressive Christians would say that... Um, Jesus' death on the cross was not God's will that Jesus should pay the price for our sin. That is seen as not just wrong, but obscene. How could a loving God will his son to die? And um, the, the, the point is, Jesus is God. If you understand the Trinity, you don't make mistakes like that. They call it cosmic child abuse. And this is serious because when you let go of these truths, you go into serious error um, there's another teaching that says Jesus was racist and had to repent of his racism. I'm not going to go into why, why that was there, except to say that this is what happens. When you don't see Jesus as the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, when you say Jesus didn't have to be perfect, you're going to get into all sorts of error. Now, Elisa Childers has been exposed to that. Much of her teaching is a reaction against it. She does other things too. She also has guests to appear. She's well worth checking out. And I discovered from her someone called Mike Winger. Now, Mike Wingers, I think, is brilliant. This is probably the one that I find most helpful. There is so much on his website, which is um, BibleThinker.org, and uh, has a YouTube channel. Elisa Childers has a YouTube channel, elisachilders.com, I think, there. 
Now, look, Mike, Mike Winger, he does systematic teaching where he goes through the Bible. This screenshot, he's going through Mark. That is, um, what video is that there? Does it say? Number 66, going through Mark. There are 16 chapters in Mark. He's on the 66th one. He goes through in such detail. He cross-references. He reads widely. He puts in so much preparation. He also does thematic teaching where he'll take topics, difficult topics, topics that we would probably rather avoid addressing uh, because you know, they can be mm, trigger topics, some of them. Um, and he will always seek to be biblical. His website is very skillfully arranged, and you can search it. And if you put in a topic, even if it's like a five-minute section in a longer video, um, you'll find it. By the way, the videos are long, um, but you don't have to watch them all in one go. <laughs> but uh, they're long because they contain so much. Now, the last one I'm going to recommend here, oh, actually, no, not the last one, but the last American one is uh, John McRae. Now, you might look at him and look at me and think... Do we have a lot in common? <laughs> uh, he is a musician. I haven't listened to his music. I'm not sure I'd like it. But I have found his videos great because he is a Christian who loves God. He loves the Bible. Now, his particular approach, which doesn't matter so much for me, but it will for some people, he, he's got his finger on the pulse of contemporary culture. He knows what young people are seeing and what influences are putting into their lives. And he brings a biblical response. Now, I watch them because I, I like to be informed, and it's good to pray about these things. Um, but if you know, <laughs> it's a tricky one, if you've got young people who you think could watch this, you, you probably don't want to recommend it. But if they catch you watching him, that might pique their interest. Um, but he's good. And again, he's very good at uh, summarizing what people say in an honest way. He doesn't, he doesn't build straw men. In other words, if he wants to criticise what someone is saying, he will try and say it in a way that he thinks they would agree with his summary, which I think is very honourable. He's good. He's worth checking out. And the last one, just a word for the British here, is think theology. Now, this is a catalyst thing. I only need to give you two words to recommend this one, and those words are Andrew and Wilson. Anything that Andrew Wilson is involved with is going to be good. Um, there's no video. Well, this isn't essentially videos, but it's, it's, it's good biblical teaching. Now, look... What I'm saying is this. I'm not saying you have to watch these videos, but I'm saying this is a resource which I think is probably underused. And if you want to find a preacher who excites you, at least some of you may want to check these out. And if not these, ones that do, just so long as their plumb line is, the Bible is what matters. The idea is that we want to make what we believe and do in line with the Bible, not try and make the Bible say what we want it to say. And so much, so much, I, I would say that progressive Christianity seeks to make the Bible say what we want it to say. So, bottom line, we know God's will uh, from the Bible. And actually, I just want to say Brian's word, Jesus' total submission to the will of God in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, brilliant, isn't it? What... <laughs> Jesus submitted to God's will. Shouldn't we? This is not to gain our salvation. This is come and know me better. This is an invitation. Come and know me better. So how does knowing God's will affect us? Well, just in a... Um, it should change us. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it, in, as it is in heaven, what we're really saying is, Lord, show me more of your will. Help me understand it from your written word. And by your grace, help me to do what you want me to do 
and not do the things you don't want me to do. And if every Christian's doing this, I actually think this is going to help bring in the kingdom of God. Now, not, you're not going to get some of the kingdom of God now, but the, my last slide. I think the kingdom of God involves things... Oh, no, not, this, James says, be doers of the word and not hearers of the word only. I mean, that's clear, isn't it? So we've got to be doers, not just hearers. And, um, oh, yeah, sorry, St. Luke... St. Luke Clements said, as you go to your work, use your skills as a teacher, nurse, driver, mechanic, athlete, parent, and so on. Thank God for your God-given abilities. Use your gifts, abilities, expertise to benefit and bless the whole community. Luke preached a while ago, and he was like saying, a lot of this is just living your life normally, but doing it righteously and seeking to follow God. I think my last slide now. Yeah, so look, the kingdom of God, it will include things like... It, it, will be, it, it will be miracles. It will be captives set free. We've, we've had this. It will be the blind singing. It will be healing. It will be prayer, worship, praise. But it's also justice. It's honesty. It's being impartial. That is, you know, racism is wrong. Um, it's being selfless. It's being kind, faithful. It's seeking purity. It's having integrity. It's the preaching of the, God, uh, of the gospel. And it's these things and more. Um, but how do we bring it on earth as it is in heaven? Well, we seek to do God's will. I think, I think I've said enough. I hope it's clear. Um, God has a will. He's revealed it in the Bible. He's our loving Father, as Brian reminded us, our Father. But he's also holy. And as Tab said, God's holiness exposes our sin. But there's no shame because of the gospel of Christ. Why anybody would want to go for a gospel which basically takes away the removal of our shame and basically says there's, you know, there's no shame to start with. There's no shame because it's dealt with on the cross. So you don't have to look at those videos, but I do encourage you to, to check out something. And I'm going to say one more thing because we're supposed to... It's helpful if we give some personal experience. Now, I sort of thought showing about my cats was a personal experience and I ticked that box. This is my last thing, personal experience. I was going to say that I'm older probably than most of you here. Looking around, I'm not... No. <laughs> I, I am older than... And I'm, and I'm grateful that I think Gordon Stroud's here and a few others, and Brian, forgive me. <laughs> so I'm not, but the thing is, from the heart, I wish I got to grips with this sooner. Now, when I was 18, I believed this stuff. And I'm not seriously doubted it. But I don't think I really got to grips with how significant it is. And so my heart plea is don't leave it too long to get into God's word and to live it. Thank you. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.